everyone. This is the Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that the Crime Cafe has two ebooks for sale the nine book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbiemack.com, under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. I would also like to recommend Stitcher Premium if you're a fan of podcasts. If you like true crime or crime fiction, there are loads of podcasts out there for you. And with Stitcher Premium, you can listen to the exclusive archives from Criminology or bonus episodes from True Crime Garage. You can also listen ad-free to episodes of your favorite podcasts. I've subscribed, and for only $4.99 a month, it's nice to have ad-free entertainment. Just go to stitcher.com premium and use the promo code CRIMECAFE, that's one word, all caps, to try it out. Absolutely free for a month. Hi, everyone. This episode's guest is the only author I've had on that lists a unique endorsement from copywriter Bob Bly on his website. Um, that's because along with writing the occasional novel and other book, he works as a copywriter. His latest book is The Don Con, a fast-paced, funny crime caper, and his name is Richard Armstrong. Hi, Richard. Thanks for being here today. Hi, Debbie. It's my pleasure. I'm, I'm very excited to be on. I'm so glad you're here. Um, before we start, I should mention that you have a, a copy, correct, that you can download of Don Con from your website? Uh, not, not the Don Con, but I have a free uh, giveaway if you visit my website. Ah, what uh, is the it? Um, the, um, the book, um, as you know, deals a lot with uh, con men and confidence games and uh, that sort of thing. And uh, there's a book on there called, uh, there's a booklet called uh, How to Talk Anybody Into Anything, uh, Secrets of the World's Greatest Con Men. And it's about 100 pages long. It's a PDF. You can download it instantly for free. There's no, no catch or, or obligation or anything. And it's just a way to uh, encourage people to come to the website. And uh, once you're there, then you can learn more about the novel. But the novel's, the novel's for sale. Uh-huh. That's excellent. But that's a great book to have. I mean, great, yeah, it is. Great I think, you, know, you mentioned uh, uh, copywriting. That is what I do for a living. And uh, while I, I don't believe that copywriters are con men, um, we, we do have a tendency to use a lot of the same techniques. Uh, the difference, the key difference is between a copywriter and a con man is that copywriters are not criminals. Uh, we, don't, we don't have what's known in the, in the law as criminal intent. We're just trying to sell you a product. And hopefully that product will be worth more than what you pay for it and we'll both go away happy. It's a, a win-win situation. Whereas a con man is uh, 
trying to essentially steal money from you without you knowing it. Um, mm -hmm. But the, the irony there, the kind of amusing irony, is that we tend to use almost exactly the same techniques in advertising that men use. And uh, so I think it's a very interesting uh, book uh, and even a useful book if you're in any business where persuasion is um, um, uh, part of your job. And that, that includes many, many different kinds of jobs. Absolutely. I mean, I think most authors don't even think about the fact that they are in the persuasion business. All authors, <laughs> even the fiction authors, especially the fiction authors. You know, there's a lot of connection between uh, copywriting and uh, fiction. I've, I've written, uh, this is my second novel, uh, but we've, in copywriting, we've long recognized the importance of telling stories, uh, the importance of uh, being mysterious, uh, of um, uh, invoking curiosity in the reader, a number of uh, things that we have to do in advertising that are skills that are very, very useful to the novelist and vice versa. So I, uh, I often tell uh, younger copywriters that uh, they shouldn't just read books about advertising, they should read a lot of novels too because um, novelists, the good ones, are, are very good at some of these uh, skills. Um, probably f first among them is just to keep people reading. I mean, you know what it's like to be in a novel. I'm sure you do, Debbie, where you just, you, you literally can't put it down and you're up all night. You might, you know, you might stay up, up until four in the morning to finish it. Mm -hmm. And uh, if, you can, if you can get some of that magic as a copywriter too, it will work very much to your, to your advantage because you're not gonna. You're not usually gonna sell the product unless people read the read the copy. That's right. Well, um, tell us a little bit about uh, the DonCon. What's it about? Well, let me tell you how I got the idea for the book because that kind of uh, leads into what it's about. I I was an actor years ago, and uh, uh, when I was younger, and way back in 1972, I was in a play. Um, and uh, uh, Glenn Close was in the play, as a matter of fact, strangely enough. But uh, Glenn and Glennie and I have sort of lost touch with each other over the years. She never calls, she never writes. And uh, but I did make a very good friend in that cast by the name of Jonathan Frakes. And Jonathan went on to be uh, pretty well known, famous mm -hmm. as uh, second in command of Star Trek, uh, The Next Generation. Not the original Star Trek with William mm -hmm. Shatner. I used to watch version. it. Mm -hmm. Did you? Well, no, yes, then I have. Patrick, Patrick Stewart was the commander of the ship, and my friend Jonathan was the second in command. And uh, one night, not that long ago, four or five years ago, I was having dinner with him and my wife, and uh, um, I hadn't seen him in a little while, and I was kind of curious about what he was up to because uh, I knew he wasn't acting much because I wasn't seeing him on television anymore. So we were asking him what he was doing, and, and he said uh, that he does a lot of directing of television nowadays because he's also a director. Uh, but he said, you know, one of the ways that I make income is that I go to, the, I go to fan conventions, particularly Star Trek conventions, and I sign autographs for money. And 
silly me, I had never heard of this before. I didn't know such things existed. Um, but he, he told me, he told me that he didn't know that they existed either until he was a couple of years into the show and, and his agent said, I think you should go to this Star Trek convention. And he said to his agent, why, why would I want to do that? And the agent said, well, do you like money? <laughs> so, so he agreed to do it and he was absolutely gobsmacked by how much money he made. Um, he, he wasn't even prepared for it. He, he didn't have a way to bring it back. So he had cash stuck, stuck in his pockets and in booze and everything. And, uh, and when he told that story, not only was it, you know, kind of an amusing story, but I was thinking about it a couple of weeks later. I was, I guess I was walking the dog and I was just kind of mulling out evening over in my mind. And, and it, it, it occurred to me, wouldn't it be interesting if somebody tried to steal that money, all that cash at a fan convention? And that was the basic term of the book. And then what the story of the book is, it's about an actor who never really had a lot of success. I mean, he, he kind of hit the high watermark of his career when he had a little part on The Sopranos as a gangster. And nowadays he goes around to these fan conventions around the country and he makes a, a kind of a meager living because he's not a, he was never a big star, but he's able to make a living signing autographs at these conventions. And one day there's a real gangster in his autograph line. And the real gangster makes him an offer he can't refuse, which is namely, you are going to help me rob all the celebrities at the next convention. <laughs> so that's the basic plot line of the story. And, and, uh, Madness ensues from there, as they say. I got to tell you, it's an absolutely hilarious book. I loved it. Um, well, thank you. thank you. It is, it is a very funny book. Um, I and uh, I know that you mostly do um, crime stories and mysteries, and it is technically a crime story. I, mm -hmm. I kind of see it as, as uh, mostly a satire, but I, I think the the um, crime aspect of it. Uh, is engaging enough so that people will read it to want to, you know, find out what happens next because um, uh, complications uh, arise from obviously getting in, in, into business with a with a mafia kingpin. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, it, it's just really it nails some stuff. I mean, as far as like uh, the whole thing with with the, the person who keeps saying aren't you that guy from The Sopranos who played so-and-so? And he keeps coming back with, no, no, I just had this one tiny part. I mean, it's just hilarious. It's absolutely... This part is so small that nobody, people recognize him, but, but they can't remember, you know, which I know. part of he keep, they, they always guess wrong, and he just runs with it. He says, yeah, that's what... <laughs> that's it, right. Yeah, that, yeah, it was that guy, yeah, sure. <laughs> Oh my you know, God. Debbie, they actually did uh, last, uh, and I went to this, and when was it? It was last uh, November, I think it was. They actually did the very first Sopranos fan convention. So mm. it was almost a case of uh, life imitating art. Uh, when I wrote the book, uh, this, this uh, a gangster fan convention had never existed, much less one on Sopranos. 
But in November, a couple of very enterprising young guys put together one uh, a convention just for Sopranos fans. They did it in the in the Meadowlands in New Jersey, which is appropriate. <laughs> Uh, yes. And got, they got an enormous number of the uh, uh, members of the cast to come back for this. And uh, it was a terrific event. They had a huge attendance. Uh, like I said, just about everybody who was any, anybody in the cast was there, all signing autographs, talking with their fans. It was really a wonderful event. And uh, I, I went to it, and, and uh, we were selling books there. We weren't, we weren't selling all that many books, but I really enjoyed just being a participant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Because um, I was, I, you anticipated the question I was going to ask you. I was going to ask if there really were these conventions for gangster-related uh, fans, you know, that kind of thing. No, so, I mean, as far as I can tell, that was the first. Now, the same guys who put that one together have talked about doing another one this spring. Now, of course, we this was before the virus hit and everything. So um, I'm sure that's all been placed on hold for the time being. But they wanted to do one where they brought back um, stars from all the gangster movies, from Godfather, Godfather 2, Goodfellas, all the others, as many people as they could get. And they were going to do that in Atlantic City, which is another great choice of venue. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, um, when we get back to normal in this country, I hope they uh, continue with that idea and I'll, I'll attend that one as well, I'm sure. Huh. Um, the, one of your other books is called God Doesn't Shoot Craps. Now that sounds like a funny book. I mean, the title itself is funny. What's that book about? Well, you know, God doesn't shoot craps. We we're talking a little bit about copywriting, and that's, I, I, I've often said that one of the things that distinguishes that book is it's the only novel uh, ever written about a, a, a direct mail copywriter um, because it's about a, a guy who has a little mail order business uh, where he sells crap systems or gambling systems through the mail. And for the most part, well, all of these systems um, don't work. He's, I mean, he's sort of a con man himself. Uh, but then he uh, comes up with a crap system and he's in the habit of, of testing these systems, not because he expects them to work, but just so that he'll be able to answer questions about them from his, his uh, buyers and that sort of thing. So he goes to a casino to test the system that he's selling and he discovers <laughs> that it actually works, uh, mm. much to his surprise. Unfortunately, he's just sold millions of them, and now he has to get them back. <laughs> oh, my. So that, that's the basic concept between that book. But if, uh, if your listeners, if it sounds like maybe some of your listeners are interested in the world of copywriting, uh, this is kind of uh, an area where copywriting and crime uh, come together. <laughs> well, that's fascinating. And... Um... For some reason, it reminds me of the producers in the sense of you're trying for something and going for a result that you really didn't expect. Yes, I haven't thought of that before, but yeah, that is, <laughs> yeah, That's, uh, that book did rather well, and uh, it was actually optioned for a movie, for the movies, but uh, it was never made. I mean, most books, or uh, very few movies get made, and a lot of books get optioned, but that was kind of exciting. 
tell me about uh, it. <laughs> I, and I wound up, I actually wound up making more money from, from Hollywood, so to speak, than I did from writing the book. <laughs> I can believe that. Yeah. Um, who are your favorite writers and what writers inspire you most? Well, I have, uh, I, I have a taste in reading that uh, goes to the extremes of uh, classics uh, and just absolute trash. <laughs> I shouldn't go, I should call it trash because it's good. It's good for what it is. But I, I'm, I'm very fond of reading. Um, I should do more of it, but I'm, I'm fond of going back and reading things like Shakespeare and, and Homer, um, um, Greek classics. Uh, Dante was a, a very a significant book for me. Um, uh, so on the one hand, that's, that's all kind of highbrow stuff. But when it comes to just pleasure reading, I, I really like to read very, very commercial things. Um, I like Stephen King. I like John Grisham. I like Michael Connelly, the, uh, the uh, um, police uh, detective mm -hmm. writer. Bosch. Uh, uh -huh. Yeah, Bosch. Uh, very fond of that. Oh, I, I love Lee Child. I, you know, I just can't wait for the next Lee Child book to come out. So it's wrong to call that trash because, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's what I would, as a writer, it's what I would aspire to be because obviously I'm not going to write King Lear. I might, I might as well write something like them. Uh, so I actually admire these guys a lot. They're very good at what they do. It's just that they're not, you know, they're not, hugely substantive books. I mean, I've, I've read every single one of, Ray, of Lee Child's books, but I wouldn't be able to tell you the name of a single title or remember anything that it was about. So in, in that sense, they're very commercial. They're, they're, they're just pure entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, so I, it, it's kind of funny, Debbie, but I'm at those two extremes. I'm the same <laughs> way. I like to read all over the map. Yeah. Well, there's the, what's interesting there is that there's nothing in the middle. <laughs> like <laughs> my wife, for example, reads literary fiction, and uh, she's a member of a, a women's uh, book club, and they they tend to read books that aspire. Um, they're somewhat commercial, but they uh, the publishing industry refers to it as literary fiction because they aspire to be works of art. They're not just entertainment. And so and they're very, there are many very good books in that category, but I just don't, I don't have much interest in that. Mm -hmm. and, and the other thing that's interesting about that in terms of um, in my own reading is that I often find things in my classical reading that, that helps give me ideas for what I'm writing. I mean, God doesn't shoot craps was um, I mentioned Dante was was largely structured along the Divine Comedy. And um, as you know, the Don Con, Shakespeare plays a very important part of the, in the Don Con. I don't want to pe put people off by that, uh, but the, the main character is just one of these people who's in the habit of, of quoting Shakespeare. Uh -huh. uh, so um, he, he just... just does it all the time and people find it very annoying <laughs> but, but it's also it also informs the book and i i kind of i i saw the book as being 
this particular book, the Don Con, I saw it being very much like a play itself in that it's mostly dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, and even the parts that are not dialogue, the parts that are narrative, are first person narrative. So you could sort of look at that as dialogue too. So it's almost like reading a play. And uh, for that reason, I think it's very fast. It's a very fast reader. People always tell me that they read it in a couple of days. Um, and I like that. I mean, I think uh, popular fiction should be fast and easy to read. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm with you there. Um, it's not a play within a play, I assume. <laughs> no, although when you consider that, uh, and you know because you've read it, when you uh -huh. that they play this elaborate con game at the end. So... Um, that could be considered a play. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a technique that Shakespeare went to over and over and over, over again in Hamlet and in Henry IV and many times and, and always so brilliantly. Yes, absolutely. Um, since you have a job as a copywriter, when do you make time to write your fiction? Well, at the moment, that's not a problem because I'm semi-retired and uh, also nobody's working right now. So <laughs> <laughs> yes. retired, I imagine my business level would be rather low. But uh, I, uh, I, I don't regard uh, my uh, fiction writing as being an important source of income. It isn't. So copywriting is the, is, is the uh, priority. I, I'm you mentioned Bob Bly, and this is a piece of advice that Bob always likes to give, is that you should structure a day along the lines of what is bringing in the most money, uh, because he also writes a lot of books, uh, mostly nonfiction, but he, he writes a lot of books, but he always starts with his copywriting project because that's where the money is. Mm -hmm. And then he might turn to the books that he self-publishes because he does a lot of that too. Uh, and there's a lot of money in that for him. But his conventionally published books, and he's written something like 105 of them by now, um, they bring in less money. So he's, he tends to do that towards the end of the day. And uh, I kind of feel the same way. Um, I, I, copywriting is the most important thing to me. But because I, do, I haven't written that many books, um, on the two occasions when I had novels, um, I, I, when I got the idea for the novel and I, it be the various pieces of it began to take place in my head, then I felt like I had to write it and I had to write it quickly. And in both of those occasions, I just told clients and they, and I said to them, you know, that piece of copy you were expecting in uh, May, well, it's going to be more like July. <laughs> which is not something I like to do and I hardly ever do it but I did do it for those two books because they 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 got to the point where they were inside me and I knew I knew how I was going to approach them and the, the need to get it out on paper was so strong that I couldn't do anything else and so I just cleared the decks of all other work and just did it and they came out very fast very very That's fast that's often the way these things happen, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I was going to say, are you working on anything now? No, I really wish I would. You know, one of the, I think one of the reasons that um, uh, my books have been, I've written four books, uh, 
but they've been spaced out like uh, 10 years apart for each one of them. And I think the main reason is that I'm just, uh, I'm not very uh, creative when it comes to coming up with ideas for them. The, the ideas are few and far apart. Um, I, now, if I were making a living as a, uh, a novelist or, or even as a nonfiction writer, I think I would be more um, aggressive about training myself to come up with ideas. And I know you know this. There are, there are many books and articles out there and give you advice as novelists for ways of coming up with ideas. Um, mm -hmm. But I just kind of let it happen. And uh, just like I described to you with this, uh, with this one, it just was a, a casual meeting with an old friend that put an idea in my head. And once it got in there, it was, uh, you know, it was like a, a um, well, like a virus. <laughs> it, it took over and I, the only way to make myself healthy again was to write. <laughs> wow. I think it's so cool that, that, that the whole thing germinated when um, Jonathan Frakes told you that somebody with actual experience in doing that. That's really I funny. Time, I'll tell you a funny story about Jonathan. Well, we can do this as an extra. If oh, you want okay. stick around afterward. Okay. That'd be great. That's a teaser for everybody, okay? So <laughs> uh, be a supporter on Patreon and you can hear this extra that's going to come up. <laughs> so um, here's my off the wall question for you sure. If given the choice, do you pick cannoli or tiramisu? <laughs> Now that's an interesting question. I, <laughs> I personally like um, cannoli. Oh, um, me too. Yeah, uh, tiramisu is um, it's it's kind of like uh, uh, the girl with the curl. You know, when she was good, she was very good, and when she was <laughs> bad, she was horrible. And I've, I've had so many horrible examples of tiramisu that I'm a little reluctant to order it in a restaurant, even though I've had it when it's fabulous, too. So uh, uh, cannoli is, you might say it's a safer bet. It's a safer bet. So <laughs> take the cannoli, leave the tiramisu. <laughs> is there, oh, uh, what was your website again? Oh, it's thedoncon.com. So pretty easy to remember, just the title of the book, .com. And once you go there, uh, you can, uh, the, there's a little animated uh, um, trailer for the book, uh, which is a lot of fun. It gives you an idea of what the book is about. A lot of great testimonials from, from people, including some people on The Sopranos and a and, uh, um, little description of it and everything. I think it's a very nice website and I would encourage people to go there. And like I said, you do get that free gift if you go there too. The the book, how to talk anybody into anything. Well, that's awesome. That's a, that's an offer you can't say no to. You can't refuse. Exactly. You can't refuse. Exactly. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish up? No, I just uh, want to thank you uh, for doing that and uh, for interviewing me. Uh, you and I were talking a little beforehand about how difficult it is to market fiction. Um, you know, when you're marketing nonfiction, a lot of times you you know exactly who your reader is going to be and you know what they're going to get out of your book and you're able to do a more conventional kind of uh, marketing uh, the way you would market a product. 
but fiction is uh, so different. Uh, you never know what people are going to like. Uh, you never know who's going to like something. You know, a lot of times your own ideas about who might like it are, turn out to be wrong. Um, so um, the only way you can really market fiction is to um, get it out there, try to um, talk with people like you and, and, and your listeners and hope that they give it a try. And number one, hope that they give it a try. And number two, hope that they like it. And then the key thing is hope that they talk to other people. Because mm -hmm. word of mouth is really the only way that fiction is sold. And w when I think of the books that I try of, among authors that I don't already know, um, you know, like I said, I know Lee Child, so I'm going to read everything that he comes out that he comes out with. Um, but in order to get me to try somebody new, uh, I have to hear from somebody that I know uh, that it's good. And I so. Agree. That's, that's word of mouth, and that's really the only way that, that fiction by little-known authors uh, can be marketed. So uh, I, I'm, just, I'm very grateful to have this opportunity and very grateful to your audience uh, if they give it a whirl. Well, I appreciate your being on very much. So thank you so much, Richard. And thank you, Deb. Certainly. And uh, before we finish up, for the regular, finish up the regular season... Um, be sure and check out the Crime Cafe box set of nine stories. They're all novels. There's one novella. And the anthology, five short stories. You won't be sorry. And every author is well worth a read. Believe me, there's some wonderful authors in those collections. So um, look for that at debbiemack.com, where you can also find my Patreon page. Um, in light of current events and the um, economic effect of them, I have reduced the lowest level of support to $1. I think it's only fair in this time that we all share a bit of this burden that's being placed on us. But I, I suspect it will go on for a while, too. So anyway, check out the Patreon page and see what you think. There are all sorts of extras and um, exclusive types of content you can get when you, when you come on board. So with that, I'll just say thank you for listening, and we're going to take a hiatus from the interviews until June, and our first guest in season six will be Sarah Lynn Richard. In the meantime, I'm in the midst of creating more video and audio content for Patreon, and um, remember that um, you should keep reading and just keep healthy during this time. So. Until next time, happy reading.